I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Ladies and gentlemen, I go by the name of Royce Hawkins, and right now, you're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Jack. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh, Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, my guest is LaRoyce Hawkins. You might know him as Officer Kevin Atwater on the hit NBC police drama Chicago PD. He's been on there for eight seasons. He's also a rapper, comedian, poet, uh, multi-talented, um, and he shares some great stories with us about some craziness from growing up in Chicago to uh, how he sort of chose his career path, or as he calls it, accepting his assignment. And uh, in addition to some, some funny stuff, we get into some, some big lessons on discipline, hard work, staying out of your comfort zone, all that kind of stuff that we love to talk about on this show. And I think you're really going to enjoy this one. So let's get into it. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you making time. I'm, I've been uh, studying some of your work and, and it looks like you're doing really cool things. And so I'm excited to learn about it. Oh, man, that means a lot, dog. You know, I've tapped into uh, to your textures as well. You definitely talked to some real dope people. Uh, you know, people who planted some significant seeds in various different games. So, you know, I'm just dope. You know, I think it's dope that you wanted to rap with me. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Uh, let, let's get into it. So I always like to start at the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? I do. First record I bought for myself was Prince Purple Rain on vinyl. Oh man. Um, my, my, my great-grandfather passed and I was able to get my hands on um, his record player. And it was, he, my great-grandfather was a jazz musician. He, he was a pianist, so like, 
I imagine with him being the musician he was, um, he knew powerful quality equipment when it came to those things. And so mm-hmm. I just remember years after his life, that record player until I gave it to my little brother was like top notch. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like the, the sound was so crispy, man. And I was mm-hmm. like the only cat in college. Um, you know, you go to my college dorm or my you know college apartment, I'm putting on vinyls later on that right. evening. You know what I'm saying? In a way that you yeah, know, yeah. kids my, my age weren't. But I remember Purple Rain being my first per- purchase. And it's because Prince is my mom's favorite artist. So she raised me off of Prince. That's amazing, man. I was I was a huge Prince fan back then. My aunt actually took me to the theater to see see Purple Rain in the theaters. Word. Yeah. Uh and 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 before that controversy had been my first concert I ever went to. Okay. My, I was I was like 10 years old. My dad had friends that were a little bit older and they took me, they dragged me along. So Purple Rain was no first concert. Uh controversy. Controversy. Yeah. My first yeah, concert was honestly the um the Temptations review. Oh shit. So you know it was That's two cool. different temptations. It's like Otis Williams yeah. has his own and Dennis Edwards mm-hmm. has his own. Mm-hmm. And I, I was I went to the Dennis Edwards review. Um wow. and it was it, it was powerful, man. Me and my little brother went, my our grandparents took us. Yeah, I mean those experiences they stay with you forever, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. For sure. That's cool. And so and then how about acting? Well, what was, do you remember your first time? What was your first time on camera? I know, you, I know camera. you were doing like theater stuff growing up, right? Yeah, my first time on camera was uh, was my first film. Um, mm. the, the Express about Ernie Davis, the first black Heisman Trophy winner. Okay. And, um, you know, I was, I started in stand up and um, stand up and poetry and, and music kind of, you know, as a, as a young entertainer, I, th- I couldn't think of anything other than acting to study mm-hmm. at Illinois State, which is my alma mater. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank God I went to Illinois State because um, an alumnus of Illinois State, um, TPR casting was a casting agency at the time, and I was called PR. But okay. they sent an email back to the theater department looking for a black actor that can play a black athlete. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was pretty much the only one that could pull it off uh, in, in the whole department. And I hadn't acted exactly. anything yet, but I was like, well, the only black guys there. So, you know, mm-hmm. the, the theater department kind of just sent me on this audition, you know, to, and told us, told me not to make them look bad. And I didn't <laughs> know that it was going to be a, a major motion picture until I got there. Sure. And I see all these dope movies on the wall, The Breakup, Mr. 3000, you know what I'm saying? Like, joints mm-hmm. that I loved watching growing up. And I was like, oh, this for real, for real. So, um, man, my pops had picked me up, dropped me off. I walk in there, I notice how powerful it is. I had to digress. I went to the bathroom, said a prayer, did like 50 push-ups, And I went in there and did my best, you know what I'm saying? And right. the rest is history. And I didn't end up being Ernie Davis, um, but that audition made me the Chicago favorite for Ernie Davis. Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, they kept on auditioning me for multiple roles in the film. Um, and to make a long story longer, I ended up playing Art Baker. Okay. Art Baker, he was one of the three black guys on the team. And um, and that was my first, that was my first vibe. Wow. So before that though, you knew that that was going to be your path. Sounds like you're doing stand-up, you're doing theater, um, yeah, all that stuff. So where did that come from? What, what was the, was it like, you know, what, what led you down that path? Well, I was, uh, 
you know, my, my grandfather asked me probably to this day one of the most important questions of my life when I was struggling between whether to, was my sophomore year of high school, when I didn't know whether I should keep playing basketball or um, stay on the speech team. And both the seasons run at the same time. So my grandfather would be the one who would, like, take me from a speech tournament. I would leave before um, the award ceremony and, like, make it to the basketball game just in time to hop in the layup line. And that was, like, that was my sophomore schedule. Um, Mm -hmm. And after a while, uh, you know, the coaches started to talk to me and they told me, you know, we noticed that you can't really give 100% to both. Um, Naturally, you're talented enough to go far either direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but it got to a point where they were, you know, where they kind of forced me to choose. As a, as a little homie at the time, I thought that was unfair because, you know, you feel <laughs> like you can do anything twice. Of course. You know what I'm saying? Of course. So it's like, um, but my grandfather, um, understanding the pressure I was under, he asked me, he said, well, what feels better? Mm-hmm. Making a ball go through the net or watching that ball go through the net or making people laugh. Mm. And in that, in that moment, I was honest with myself and I said that it feels better to make people laugh. So what he did was he said, well, we're going to go to basketball practice and we're not going to tell your coach that you're quitting. We're going to tell your coach that you're leaving this art form to be a champion in another. Because, okay. you know, because the, the, the rumor was I had potential to win state. And my grandfather was like, if you truly got potential to win state, that's, tell him that's what you're going to do. You're not quitting basketball. You, you can play basketball whenever you want. That'll probably be a part of your life forever. Mm-hmm. But if you have an opportunity to go be a champion, that's the way you, that's the way you, you, you approach it. So we would go to basketball practice, Josh. You ain't going to believe it. My coach, he was like this hard-nosed, like, mob guy. Like, I swear he was probably Sorry. a man, like, for real. And <laughs> Coach T. And Coach T. Um, since then, my whole, you know, I'm going to be a champion story. And, you know, naturally he had his feelings. You know, hard-nosed coaches, they had their feelings about thespians. You know what I'm saying? And so he was like, he was like, well, I want you to go tell your team what you're doing. He said, go tell your teammates what you're leaving the game for. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what you mean? He wanted me to perform, I guess, whatever it was that I did his speech for for the players on the bleachers. So he says I'm down on the bleachers. And mind you, my teammates had never really seen me activate sure. like that before. You know what I'm saying? I was the, I was mm-hmm. the power forward. And, you know, for, for, for them to watch me popping in and out of different body um, postures and doing different voices. And I was singing. And I was, you know what I'm saying? All the jokes were wow. original. So, I, you know, yeah. I, I gave them, you know, it was this original comedy I had to show for them. And um, make a long story longer, they loved it. It was like at the so, end of that performance, they were like, bro, that's you. You go do that. They supported me 100%. And that planted a seed for me being a fearless performer. Because mm. if I could do it in front of them, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it was easy. I could do it in front of sure. anyone. Yeah. Sure. Um, that's a great story. And, you know, it makes me think of like, I can imagine the feeling coming off that stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I can, I can imagine the fear going, walking up there. And no, then I can really. imagine the feeling afterwards. Yeah, man, it was, I was terrified at first. Yeah. And by the time I was done, man, for them to, for them to rock with it the way that they did, it just gave me that confidence to go be a champion. And I didn't become a champion that year. That year, I wouldn't make it out of regionals. Mm. But the next year, definitely won state in a regional company. 
Then I won again the year after that. Wow, that's cool. So is that a lesson? Do you use that lesson still today? Yeah, I do. I do. You know what I'm saying? The takeaway from from me was, uh, you know, was to trust yourself. Mm. You know, that was one of the first moments where I I trusted myself more than um, the opinions, the popular opinion, you know, because it wasn't popular at all mm-hmm. for me to stop playing basketball and for me to do something that different and unique. Um, sure. Because, you know, I'm from Harvey, Illinois, and that's a hood where, you know, part of part of my survival was basketball. Part of what made me um, or allowed me to be able to socialize, you know, mm-hmm. on, the, on, on, on the streets outside of my home. I was very mm-hmm. sheltered at home um, and I went to a private Christian academy. So I didn't mm-hmm. go to the other feeder schools that everybody else went went to in my neighborhood. So I was I was a little sheltered from most people. The only way I only reason I had friends um going into high school was they were the people who I played basketball with. You know what I'm saying? And so if it wasn't for basketball, um, you know, I wouldn't have had a connection. And I would have, you know, just been like, you know, a, a stranger to everybody. But sure. um basketball kept me cool, you know what I'm saying? It kept me safe in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that was the thing. So for me to stop doing that and to decide to do something completely different with my gift, um, something that, you know, wasn't honestly popular, that popular um, around around the time where I started until I until I did it. You know, I made I made yeah. it something that that. I made it an avenue, you know, or an extra option for people who didn't know how to tap into that part of themselves. So as they watch mm-hmm. me do it. And like I said, I was bringing I was bringing home medals. You know, um, made it a thing. But then what was dope about it was that I was still kind of I was still in the athlete pool. So I was like the only person on the speech team that had like gym with all the athletes, all the football players, basketball players. So I still did P.E. with them. Um, And so I was kind of like a speech jock a little bit, (laughs) which which was cool. If I could have pulled out cheerleaders, I would have (laughs) tried. Nice. Um, I seen you talk about. Harvey, I saw you uh, giving a speech on stage and, and you talked about having a pet duck, um, which, yeah. you know, it, you know, I grew up in the hood in San Francisco. Cats had pit bulls and Rottweilers. Um, you know, yeah. I can imagine. And, and so what's interesting, you know, you, you told this story about having a pet duck, funny mm-hmm. story. And you talked about the dangers that the duck was facing with you know, squirrels and, and whoever else yeah. was coming at it, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I, I wonder, what, what did that what, what did that do for you and your, your reputation? In a, like, you know, the, the be, being the guy duck. with the duck. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was a unique texture for the hood to experience. Cause I, I would walk my duck past everybody's <laughs> rock bottles and pit bulls. And they'll yeah. bark at him and he'll quack back. You know what I'm saying? Duke. Is that right? Duke was his name. Duke Duke was a strong duck. You know what I'm saying? He would get jumped a little bit sometimes by the yeah. squirrels and the raccoon. I would come outside and I'll see like his feathers all over the yard. Um, from, you know, him probably being, you know, chased around or jumped on a little bit. Um, but he always stayed strong. He he always stayed very loyal, you know, mm-hmm. like loyal to the soil to me. Woke me up mm-hmm. every morning at the same time for me to go to school. And was mm-hmm. the first person at the gate every time I came back. You know what I'm saying? Like Duke, cool. Duke was my dog. Duke was my dog. 
I kept him for a couple years until it got it got too it just got too tight. You know what I'm saying? And my little brother didn't help me out because he was young enough to not understand that Duke was a domestic duck that didn't you know his wings were clipped so he couldn't fly. Because sure. sure. my, my brother said he was like, why don't you just fly away and just come back? Mm-hmm. So I caught my little brother trying to teach Duke how to fly a few times. <laughs> just throwing him up in the air, he'll be falling back on the ground, hitting the back of his neck. So by the time mm-hmm. Duke started getting neck problems, plus the squirrels and the raccoons that was jumping on him, my pops found his pond outside of the hood that was like, you know, other ducks. And his theory was, whoever taking care of these ducks, take care of Duke. So the saddest day of my childhood was dropping Duke off at this pond I'm with sure. all these other ducks. And he just kept following me back to the car. Wank, 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 wank. I'm like, dude, man, you can't come back here with me, bro. You gotta, you gotta stay here with the rest of the ducks. You know it's not sweet for you in the hood. Mm-hmm. And I just remember driving all the way back to the crib, crying like a baby. I cried so hard, my mama cried. My mama cried so hard, my pops was up there crying a little bit. It was, <laughs> it was a moment. Cause yeah. I always wanted pets growing up, right? Like I always, um, you know, I want I wanted to feel that that camaraderie. That, that mm-hmm. I saw, um, you know, some of my favorite TV characters had pets. You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, man, I want that. And I tried to force it with a lot of different animals and it just never really worked out. But Duke, for whatever reason, stuck and, you know, kind of fulfilled that little that little pet pocket for me. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Um, yeah, I can only imagine being the dude with the duck in the neighborhood. Yeah, man, it was, it was pretty cool. But, you know, like they they kind of expected that from from uh, from my career a little bit. Mm. You know, my mama was um, she she my mom she she would ride a unicycle. Oh wow! Yeah, my mama had a unicycle, and okay. you know she would like she was so cold on <clears throat> unicycle she could have me and my little brother in her arms. Wow! Like riding a unicycle up and down the block. You know what I mean? That's crazy. She was like that special skill came in handy for a few times because they were like community community hood theater. And it was like it would always be a circus scene. And like my mama was one of the first performers I saw on the stage just riding her unicycle in the circus scene because everybody knew she could ride a unicycle. You know? So yeah. those those soft little special skills um were, were always kind of radiating out of my crib somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was cool. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that's uh that probably takes you a long way when you get into, you know to a business and acting and, and performing where you have to, you got to be outside of your comfort zone. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, so I'm sure the duck and the unicycle probably, probably help. Yeah. And it's just a dope story. You know, I, later on, as sure. a storyteller, um, I appreciate it more and more every day just because, you know, for, for my pops to decide to give me a duck randomly on Easter, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It was an Easter Sunday. <laughs> oh, you know wow. So, uh, that's and cool. he claims he he brought three ducks, but Duke was the only one that survived. I think the raccoon stole two of them. Oh wow! And he said he he bought three, and by the time he got back to give it to me, it was only one left in there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Actually, it was two left, but the other one was dead. Mm. And I was like, I ain't learned that till later. I was like, damn, that's dark. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you know, it's it's so so I'm grateful for those moments because you know, 20 years later. It's a it's a, it's a very unique part of myself that that I know is um can, can one day be a very very original piece of content hopefully for sure yeah that's cool so so you told me about getting that movie your your first picture um 
at what point was there was there a game plan or was it just kind of like one foot in front of the other? It was definitely in front of the other more than there was a game plan. Um, you know, I, I can't even admit to being uh, that intentional back then. Um, I was honestly just, you know, it, it felt good. Um, I knew that 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 my purpose um, and, and the point of it all was to be a performer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I would have been happy acting, even if I just would have been doing, um, you know, senior citizen theater, performing a glass menagerie, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Every, every, every sure. Friday night, you know what I mean? Like yeah. as a, that though performing is, is what, you know, it, it satiates the vibe for me. You know what I mean? That, that's what it is. So whether it's comedy, whether it's music, poetry, um, like as long as, as long as I can activate, as long as I can create a soft crowd, you know, mm-hmm. as long as there's a mic or not, um, I'm going to be in a good place. It wasn't until, honestly, it wasn't until more recently, probably about four or five years ago, um, when, I, when I got my, when, when, when my son was born. Mm. Um, my son, he'll be four next week. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Roman John. And so it was around the time when, I, when, when, when Roman John was born, where I realized, like, oh, this, it might actually be my assignment. Mm. You know, like Chicago PD specifically, I, mm-hmm. I learned was, you know, I think there's a very specific reason as to why, you know, the kid from Harvey gets booked right off the block, you know what I'm saying, to be like the only local Chicago actor and the only brother on the show mm-hmm. to tell a story that's so imperative for the moment, you know, and, and through Atwater, I learned what what my assignment was and what it had been for so long, you know, to, uh, yeah. to protect, um, to protect the black woman, to preserve black boy joy, to uplift the image of the black man through storytelling, you know? And so everything that I've done up until this point has honestly trained me and um, prepared me for, for the moments that I have when I go to work every day, you know, nice. to add yeah. that balance. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, so with that now, you know, what's the game plan now? Yeah, the game plan now is just to uh, to keep telling those stories, to maintain the assignment, to do my best with it. Um, you know, um, I, I think I think we've done a great job on Chicago PD at adding balance to um, to what we understand uh, cop TV to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we, we do our best to to make it. You know, it's it's hard. It's it's hard not to not to lean in. You know, in in, in certain spaces. Um, How do you mean? But 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 I I mean, you know, there's a there, there's this stigma against propaganda um, okay. and, and storytelling that I think our show honestly does a a good job of staying uh, uh staying in, inside the lines mm-hmm. um, with 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 most of our um, j- j- just with most of how we storytell, you know, we, we, we commit to the truth and the mm-hmm. truth only. Um, and I think Atwater is a big part of that balance. You know, I think his story and, and, and how I approach uh, the character and, and, and how the writers and I are able to, um, you know, just squeeze out authenticity is, is what keeps this show on the right side of history. 
mm-hmm. um, which is what makes this show as important as it is. And so um, my, my, my goal is to keep on doing things like that. You know, it would be very hard for me to walk away from this role whenever the, the wheels roll off and, and not be able to be as tapped in, um, mm-hmm. thoroughly immersed. You know, I've been playing that water for so long at this point. Yeah, we 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 damn near the same dude. Like we make some of the same. <laughs> like we truly make the same mistakes. Like LaRoyce Hawkins had to get a new phone because Atwater left it in his pants. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like like stuff like that happens. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. Um. And so you know, it, it's going to be hard for me to say yes to a character or to a role that won't allow me to do the same thing. Mm. So talk about that a little bit. I mean, first of all, uh, I think it's eight seasons. Yeah, that, that you're in this role, right? Um, you know, I always think uh, sustaining is so hard. You know, my favorite musicians, it's really hard to see them, you know, do it at the same level year after year. Yeah. The great TV shows, movies, et cetera, right? Like, you know, we're, we're lucky enough to be blessed to be able to do it once and to be able to, you know, continue it year after year is amazing. Yeah. Um, so how do you do that? What, what is, how do you keep it fresh for yourself? And are there changes you've made that, you know, haven't worked out or that, or that have worked out for the better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's the commitment, not only to the truth, like we, like we brought up earlier, but the commitment to growth. Okay. Um, I realized not that long ago that, I would really put too much pressure on myself and add unnecessary anxiety if I worried about if I worried about how people were going to feel about my performance and if I could sustain that consistency throughout. Mm-hmm. If it was that important to me to have to be like, yo, um, I'm putting this pressure on myself the night before I go to set and I know I got big scenes and you know, you can you can add you know, a, a, a darker weight to your workday by wondering if they're going to like this episode as much as they like the last one, mm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. so, for, for, so I really try to stay away from that and I just commit to growth. I commit to so, leaning into that uncomfortability. So I know it's like, okay, if I walk away from work and I, and I feel a little uncomfortable, that's okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The same way I had to lean in, when coach made me perform uh, my original comedy for my teammates on the bleachers is the same kind of uncomfortability that I have to lean into every day when I go to work. And if I feel like I leaned in and came out okay, then I'm good for the day. And I have to trust that whatever I did in that performance was good enough. But I just, I just look for the uncomfortability and try to make it comfortable for myself. So is there something you do to check yourself or is there, you know, you had talked about your grandfather, is there, is there somebody you, you lean on or is there, a, do you have a, a tactic, a tool that you use? Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, my, my grandfather's still here and I naturally, I, I tap into him um, mm-hmm. as often as I can. Um, I, I think I got a very, very good group of people around me um, that I trust, that are honest with me. You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, my castmates, you know, we, we create an environment that, makes it easy for us to keep it real with each other, you know? And I, and I think that's important. Um, and so, you know, most of the people in my life 
or that I have to see on a consistent basis, especially now because of COVID, um, you know, you just create, you know, your, your, your parameters. And within them parameters, sure. I got these very special people who I know if I was, if I was leaning too far to the left or too far to the right, they'll pull me back in, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, you know, so, so yeah, it could be anybody like from my grandfather to Eric LaSalle, you know, Eric LaSalle, um, told me something very, 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 very important before the eighth season started. Cause I gave Eric LaSalle a call like a few days before we were supposed to report to set. And I was very vocal with him about how important it was for me to be something like on the front line of how we story told stories in the, in the midst of this pandemic, especially with all the social injustice going on and the social mm -hmm. unrest. Um, and, you know, he listened to me pontificate about all the things that I wanted to do. And at the end of it all, kept it 100 with me. He said, well, I hear what you, I hear you talking, but you can't be an agent of change if you're not a man of consistency. Mm. And so he had to keep real with me about the, 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 the small things that I had to tighten up to be as consistent and effective as possible to do everything that I wanted. You know what I'm saying? And so, and that's one of the things that he was always good at asking us, how much does it cost? What does it cost you? If this is what you want, what is it going to cost you? Um, and based off what I wanted, it cost me a lot, a lot of early mornings, a lot of late nights. It cost me having to make sure I didn't, I, I couldn't sleep in my bed for the entire first half of the season because my bed damn near too comfortable. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get out. And so, you know, I, I had this, you know, so I slept on the couch. I took out all my clothes in my, in my closet and gave myself eight hoodies, eight hoodies only to go to work in and to, you know, just to preserve time. So there were some things that, that I knew I had to do. Woke up every morning at four in the morning, you know, um, to, uh, to make my bed, meditate, pray, work out, get, get in, you know, and for, for, for him telling me exactly what I needed to hear um, mm -hmm. and not what I wanted to hear, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if, if, if this season kicks off as strong, at least not for on, on my behalf, you know, and, and hopefully I was, an, you know, an example to everybody else. I mean, I think that's great. And, you know, obviously it's great that we're having the conversations uh, in our society that we are today, mm -hmm. but also, you know, I see a lot of people wanting to bend the world to their will and their point of view. Mm -hmm. And not understanding the sacrifices that that they have to make in the, in the, at the same time, yeah, right. And mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, you know. I think there's, I don't know. I'm I'm interested in your perspective on, you know, is is Hollywood is it getting better for all the talk and all the is it getting better at what? Well, in in in. You know, Hollywood or, or entertainment by nature is political, right? Because it reflects where society is at in any given moment. And from the, from, from the invention of TV, right, we've been processing social issues. You know, I remember as a little kid watching Archie Bunker, right? And mm -hmm. like social mm -hmm. issues are happening in real time in people's living rooms. Mm -hmm. that were going on out in the real world. And that's never changed. And I think it, it never should change. And music's the same thing, right? It's a vehicle for social change. 
Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're in this moment where social justice is at the forefront of everybody's mind, regardless of where people stand on it, right? There's, it's, it's yeah. on everybody's minds right now. And so um, is it getting better? You know, I think we're, we're uh, demanding or we're looking for change in, in racial equality, specifically in, in gender equality and in, in uh, just more inclusiveness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that's just, I guess what I'm wondering, like, is, is it just chatter or do you see real change happening? Um, I honestly feel like it's a, uh, I, I think it's this very interesting tug of war mm. um, that, you know, between and let's just call one side darkness and one side light, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 the in the Hollywood game, I think there's this this push and pull. Um, and so when you ask me, is it are we getting better? Um, I think I I think I can answer that a couple of different ways. I think in a lot of ways the darkness um, has gotten better. At, at how it hides in the shadows. Sure. I think the darkness in, in a lot of ways now kind of travels faster than light mm-hmm. in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think it's up to, to, to the people who fight for the light to, to get better at how we communicate exactly what we want, right? I think we have to be just as strategic um, as darkness is at hiding itself. And, and perpetuating or normalizing, you know, the things that we want to see change. Um, and so I, I don't think that change is impossible. I honestly do feel like, um, if I can quote Sam Cooke, a change is gonna come, you know? Um, but, but that's my optimism in the light uh, getting a lot better at, um, and, and stronger in how we demand change um, and then sometimes it's the demand of change. Sometimes I think it's, you know, like you said, you got to be strategic. There's so many different ways to do it. And so if I was to think about um, um, like the other brothers in the game, like if you were to think about a Kendrick Sampson, who's a powerful activist and also an actor. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the way the way he moves is extremely important to the way that we're going to see progress. And imagine if I just off of his example, because I admired it so much, was like, well, I'm going to do exactly what he's doing. I'm not sure if we, if, if we cover more ground that way. You know what I'm saying? So it has to be different. We, we, so I have to protest my way. You know what sure. I'm saying? And I have to find the best way to get my point across here. And if everybody is doing the same thing with their roles, you know, you got your people on the front lines, and then naturally you have the generals in the back who strategize how we move on the ground. And then you have spies, you know what I'm saying? Somewhere that are translating messages in a way that now we know we can see darkness, you know what I'm saying, coming before it even gets here. So we know how to prepare for it. And so that's what I think it is. Like, you know, I think it's truly a war going on. And, um, and I'm optimistic that change is, is on the way. Uh, but, but, but I'm also realistic, in, sure. in which I won't say, you know, I won't say, I won't say it is if it ain't. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I hope that answers. I can get a little long winded. My bad. 
No, no, no. I like that story. I mean, that's, that's a great answer. And, and I, I'm with you. I think that um, there's a lot of, look, life for most of us, for, for society gets better over time. Mm-hmm. But it's not a straight line. Mm-hmm. And, and as you said, uh, I like, I like that line that, you know, the darkness is getting smarter. Right. And I think, you know, particularly in this era of social media and of, you know, just information overload that it's easy to feel like things are changing when maybe they're not. Right. And, and right. so, so no, I appreciate you. What's that? I think cause we have been tricked before. Yeah, for sure. In more ways sure. than and, 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 and whenever, you know, whenever there's movements for change, exactly the resistance, the stronger the movement, the stronger the resistance. Right. right. And so people have to have the will and the stamina to, to push through that. Push through. Um, so I, w- I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier. Um, you know, being on a hit show for eight years, uh, let's assume it's not going to last forever. So mm-hmm. um, when is the right time to think about what's the next move? I think, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that you... Like I listen to, I listen to some of my favorite basketball players. Right, I mean it starts with Mike, but then when you when you listen to Kobe say it, and when you listen to even LeBron say it, who's still very much passionate about the game, we can tell. But mm-hmm. he also knows that one day he's just gonna know. You know, like yeah. whether sure. it's his body that tells him, or whether it's his mind, or his spirit or all, all of the above, something's going to let them know it's time. Mm-hmm. For me, um, you know, I told myself that I'm, I'm, I might, I might not ever know, but one of the things that I do, I, if, if I have an assignment and if that assignment is real, then I'm here for as long as that assignment has to be carried out and for as long as I feel like I, I can do it, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't, I don't foresee myself getting any resistance. You know what I'm saying? Um, as I, as I try to fulfill my assignment, um, I just see myself getting it done. You know, so sure. it's either going to be when, it, whenever it gets done, or whenever I feel like I can't do it anymore. Okay. But you know, some something to tell me, my body yeah. or, or spirit. Okay. Um, let's talk about music. Okay. Um, I know you've, uh, I know you sound like you've always been making music. Um, and I found something, I'm, you, you got to school me a little bit because uh, I found the Be Powerful music. Six feet is the new three. More war is the new piece. We can shake on it if it's hands free. Side piece when you hunt for your family. Whole time in the back of the food line. 95 to 100. I was 99. Which, going down two at a time. which yeah. I see your name attached to. Yeah. So tell so, me about that. Well, um, yeah, Be, Be Powerful Music um, is, is, is essentially, the, the, the way I like making music is, you know, I, I'm, I'm a storyteller. And I think that that's, to making music is, music is storytelling. It's another element, right? It's, or it's a, it's a version of it. Um, and I like 
I like to tell stories and then enhance the story by this is this is what it sounds like. You know, so right now the way I make music is just it's attached to um, an idea or a concept of, of something bigger um, that can be that could be a joke. It could be a poem. It could be a whole story. It could be a concept for a movie um, or a play, you know, mm-hmm. um, so so be powerful music. Um, right now, as it as you look at our catalog, all of that music um, can be placed or attached to a concept or another creative idea that Be Powerful is essentially working on as well. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, but you know, I, I knew music. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know. You, you just never know how you know your gifts are going to grow for you. Mm-hmm. But when I first started. When I was first interested in music, it came as a, I'm just going to tell you, Josh, I had a Ray Charles tribute band. Okay. In high school. I, I saw Ray, which is to this day one of my favorite movies still. Jamie Foxx is, mm-hmm. um, you know, is something like an idol of mine. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and just because, you know, he represents a brother with a, a, a deep, duffel's worth of gifts in a bag you know what i'm saying and sure. it's like the way he pulls them out i've always admired and so when he did ray i picked up the impression honestly from my original comedy in high school that ray was part of the reasons why i won state you know what i'm mm. saying the first time i did and from there the the idea grew my little brother is a self-taught musician so he taught himself how to play piano um, saxophone and drums. And in one set, my little brother would play all of those instruments. But one day, wow. me and him were just playing around and he was playing what I say. And my history teacher heard me and him just kind of messing around. Um, and I'm doing Ray, he's playing the keys. And my history teacher got this idea, was like, y'all should do that. Like that y'all, you might as well just be a band. Mm-hmm. And so all my homies in high school, my girl, my high school girlfriend, she was a singer and her friends, they ended up being the Raylettes. And I got mm-hmm. all my, my, my guys that, that, that were in the band to, uh, to be the musicians. And before I knew it, we would gig. And my, and my history teacher was like our manager, right? That he would get us the gigs and we were performing in bars that we were too young to be in and doing all these okay. festivals. I never forget, we raised like over $25,000 for Hurricane Katrina relief doing this joint concert with the mock Beatles band called the Liverpool legends. And so, um, and so, you know, like, so those early roots of just taking music and, and recreating it, you know, like I took that, that those classic sounds and those very um, mature textures and, you know, stayed true to them and kept the integrity, but also tried to find a way to like, you know, make them new school. And how do we, how do we attach a contemporary energy to it? And so that that was just early training for me with with, with the music, and um, you and I've always just every stage of my life I've always had a musician that was just one of my best friends or a very very close partner, and that mm-hmm. makes it easy too. Sure. Yeah. So is there um, uh, so let me think of how to ask it. So you don't have your name all over the the music projects. Um. Why not, not necessarily? Because, uh, well, you know, there, there's, there's a part of me that I think it's important for me not to 
you know, I, I just I, I respect it all so much that it is not that important for, for it to feel like that. OK. You know, um, I, I think that modest approach kind of, you know, allows all the gifts to kind of permeate evenly because mm-hmm. um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be the actor that, you know, that wants to be a rapper, you know, or, or the, 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 the comedian that wants to be a poet. You know, so it's like there's there's a part of me that just they 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 all come from the same place, you know, and and I try not to make one um, outshine the other. Um, And plus, it was important for for me to, you know, to 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 highlight uh, my little brother, who's who's my main producer, my homie Jeff Gibbs, um, Mm -hmm. a saxophonist who produces with my brother um, and and really make it make it feel like more of their lane. and 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 I'm someone that you know naturally supports it um, with with the way I you know write and 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 executive produce so to speak you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah is there um, is there somebody whose career you see as a model for your own yeah yeah first I would I would have to say Jamie Fox first. Um, like I said, it's because I feel like we do so many of the same things. And it was really from him. Like, I modeled my comedy style after him. Um, you know, even even the impressions was was a big part of my game early on. I'm doing, yeah. I'm, I'm doing impressions now, but I still know how to tap into that, you know, if I had to. Sure. Um, uh, so, yeah, so definitely Jamie Foxx. Another one, I, w- I would say Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if I had to give you my Mount Rushmore, um, my Mount Rushmore would consist of Denzel, Will Smith, Jamie Foxx, Michael T. Williamson. Okay. You know, and those, those for, nice. for me, that's, that's, that's my top four. Um, and those brothers I study, I only know one of them personally. And, and, and what he's taught me um, is invaluable, is invaluable. And I feel like I had to meet him first because if I meet the other three, they probably going to teach me things that I wouldn't be able to handle had he not taught me technique, you know, okay. had he not taught me form. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, to the journey and seeing how I, how am I running to these brothers? For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, how much, uh, you know, when I was coming up, Chicago was uh, Twista and uh, Common. That was about it. Okay. As far as hip hop was concerned, obviously there's rich music heritage, um, mm-hmm. you know, way back beyond that. But um, but you know, and and all that's changed, right? And now now there's multiple scenes, genres happening, and mm-hmm. you know, Chicago is like a world leading city, you know, as it uh, in terms of hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, how much are you? How much of that is in you? How much of that? Uh, man, I think it's I think it's all in me, for real. You know, like I was raised on finding forever and food and liquor. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, like once upon a time, with a very very straight face, I think my top five were all Chicago rappers: Kanye, Common, Twister, Lupe. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I'm trying to think if, if I had a fifth. And yeah, I'm, I'm a real, I'm a big fan of Ch- a Chance. Chance. When I was growing up, I wasn't listening, you know, just started listening to Chance, sure. um, actually. But 
you know, like, like I think he's a powerful example of, of how you can embody everything Chicago has to offer um, musically, you know, from, from the way um, gospel can inform house, from the way, um, you know, like drill can inform jazz. You know, it's, 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 there are so many textures that I think Chicago just as a city embodies. That's why you can find so many different artists from Chicago, but that have their own unique flavor, you know? Cause yeah. Chicago is all of that, depending on where you're from. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I've always appreciated. I've, you know, I've spent a little bit of time there and, and you know, I think compared to some other places, you know, New York, LA, where the lines between genres are a little thicker. Yeah. And that, you know, the house cats and the hip hop cats aren't necessarily uh, seeing eye to eye, right? They're not. They're not really speaking the same language. And I think I, in Chicago, their theme feels a little bit more fluid. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, I mean, all those all those rappers are so different. Mm-hmm. You know, from Kanye to Twisted to Common to Lupe. Yeah. Like, only in Chicago can you get rappers from the same city that sound like they don't even know each other. You know, yeah. just because, you know, we, we offer so many different textures, man. Um, sure. and, I, and that's what I love about it. And when, and when I think about when I think about the music, you know, we make on my end, um, I do my best to represent that and to reflect that. You know, especially lyrically. To in my humble opinion, Chicago has. Probably, you know, I mean. Hove, Hove naturally holds down New York. Um, and if you to go West Coast, you know, posthumously, I would have to appreciate Nipsey when I'm thinking about like lyrics mm-hmm. that tell stories that inspire change. You know what I'm saying? That, that dig deeper than surface level, um, but sure. pull you up and grow with you. Uh, and so that's why the Lupe's and the Commons and the Kanye's you know, chance, like that's what they all have in common. Like, so even though they're all very, very different, when you think right. about content, even twisted, when you think about the content, it's, it's, it's something that, that can grow you if you allow it to. And that's, that's the same thing I try to do with, uh, with the content I create. Nice, man. Well, I'm excited to see what comes up next. Um, I know you're going to do some, some amazing things for us. So that, um, I got to, I got to um, do a little lightning round before I let you go. I got that. <clears throat> All right. What's your favorite city to travel to? Hmm, Brooklyn. Who's your favorite DJ? Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to have to give that just because I, I, I was there off of experience. I'm going to have to get that to Quest Love. Oh, dope. I've been in the Quest Love set, and it was it was crazy. Yeah, he puts on an amazing show, yeah. for sure. What's the last great book you read or listened to? Um, uh, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Mm. Um, the, the, the joint, he, Between the World and Me. Okay, nice. 
What movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Hmm. Probably, probably the Wiz. Ah, uh, that's great. Because I, like, I can quote that. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, you talked about your your Mount Rushmore. Uh, who has taught you the most that you haven't met? You know, um, probably Denzel. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I was man, like John Q came on yesterday, mm. and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't stop watching it so much. And now, and when you yeah. learn more about acting, like as you grow in acting, and you when you start to see things, I'm like, oh, I see exactly what he's doing. Well, I wonder how he did that, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah, Denzel for a fact. That's good. Um, last one. If I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? It's a war going on. You hear me say that? Yeah. It's a war going on for a fact. Yeah. You can call it versus light or dark, light and darkness. You can say it's between the vices and the vibes. You know what I'm saying? However you wanna, however you wanna play it, whatever works for you. But uh, but yeah, whoever you fight for, I hope they win. I like that. Yeah. That's good. We need that reminder sometimes. For real. For real. Nice. Nice. Leroy, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate you making time and sharing uh, great stories with us. Man, it means a lot to me, Josh. Absolutely. Thank you so much, bro. Yeah, for sure. We'll be watching. Yeah, that was Leroy Hawkins on Rebel Radio. Chicago PD is Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on NBC. Make sure you check that out. Check out Leroy's music. We got links in the uh, show notes. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.